David Bosher and Sid Sharice are co-founders of Destroy the Hairdresser. They both have about 16 years of industry experience. They have been published and featured in top magazines, including Vogue. They've both been coaching hairdressers for over 10 years, and they have hit just about to hit the 10-year mark of running Destroy the Hairdresser. Today, we're going to find out what exactly is Destroy the Hairdresser, and what was their journey to get here, and what do they do? Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. My name is Robert Hughes, and I'm your host today. I'm with David and Sid from Destroy the Hairdresser. How are y'all doing today? Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Good. <laughs> Uh, so we were talking a little bit beforehand about uh, what we'll talk about today. And um, so we, in the introduction, I said that we get to know your story and learn about Destroy the Hairdresser. I think that sounds like a perfect place to start. So why don't uh, you all tell me a little bit about like uh, maybe some like high level of how you, you, you what your hair journey looked like uh, leading up to uh, either meeting each other or deciding on Destroy the Hairdresser? Oh I will go. I'll go first. Yeah. I so just quickly, I started doing hair in my kitchen when I was like 14. And long story short, I had a friend who had really long hair and I cut all of her hair off. And her parents tried to sue my family for like assault or something like insane. What? And um my dad came to me actually and said, Are you like, are you actually gonna stop doing this? Because it wasn't the first time I'd done it. And I was like, no, I'm probably going to keep doing it. And he's like, okay, I'll make you deal. I will pay for hair school. You have to go every day after school because I was still in high school. Um, and in the summer, you have to go full time. And you don't have to work a summer job because I'm Midwestern. So you start working when you're like 12. And <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, absolutely. So like, I never really thought I was going to be a hairdresser. I just said yes because... I was doing it in my kitchen and I wasn't going to stop. And I now look back and I'm like, I think my dad needed a way for this like court case to be like, he's in hair school, <laughs> um, but it all worked out. And that's all I've ever done. I've never done anything but work in the salon industry um, from managing, from educating. Um, I've been a partner in a salon. I've, I've done every behind the chair color cut really everything and it wasn't until I met Sid when I started working for an Aveda at, uh, at Aveda corporate I, I met Sid and um, I learned a lot about what goes on in the business and in the back end and all that kind of stuff and you know that's that's where we met and kind of decided hey I think we can help hairdressers without being connected to a product company that was kind of the main there was really no other way to get help at the time in my opinion um, like social media wasn't a thing yeah yeah exactly I, um i just remember like anything that you wanted had to be connected to a product company and i was like we could just help people because we want to help people and that's kind of what we did so that's kind of how i got where i am i my mom was a hairdresser and i grew up in the salon so i definitely had firsthand experience of watching um, someone that I'm emotionally attached to just kind of struggle in this industry. And I remember when I told her I was going to be a hairdresser, like I dropped out of college, I quit nursing and I was like, I want to be a hairdresser. And I remember she cried because she was like, you, you just ruined your whole life because it's just all her friends, her, I mean, they retired with nothing to show for it besides like carpal tunnel and some bad knees. 
So like there was, there was nothing. And, you know, I remember being like, I'm going to fucking do it differently. Like this isn't an option. Like I, I want to do it differently. And, you know, I, um, I did go to the Aveda school and then I quickly started working in a salon, became top educator, became manager of the salon, started running the salon, you know, got poached to be like investor in salon and like go work in other places. And I was like, nope, I'm going to work for corporate. And so I actually went to go teach um, because that seemed to fuel my fire at the time. And again, that's where David and I just like collided. It was like everything we were working for, like came to one. We were definitely a, a, a lot younger then. So we had like a lot of like angst and like fire and like, you know, um, energy, fire and energy. We're so a lot more energy. <laughs> ten years but ago. we, we were like, we have to start talking about this. And at the time, like, I think Instagram had just come out. Like it wasn't, the world wasn't what it is now, you know? And so we started just writing about it, like in a blog and just started talking about our ideas. And like, people would just look at us like we were crazy because they're like, that makes so much sense. But at the same time, like, that's also terrifying. Like you're truly choosing to go against what everyone else is doing. And we slowly started just to help, help people. Like we started to just talk to salons and talk to hairdressers and started to pave pave the way. Um, we actually, like, we've talked about this before, but we actually created the idea for DTH, like on a napkin. Like I remember David coming to me and being like, I have this idea. We have to do it. This is everything we've been talking about. Like we need to push it forward. And we did, we moved to New York city with like no money in our pockets. And we started going and working at multiple salons in New York city and started practicing our methods as stylists from a stylist perspective and started talking to the salon owners and like really getting them to understand like big picture. So like we came in and like infiltrated and were able to start kind of the base level of what we were doing at DTH. And the minute word got out, it was like students were flocking at us to try to join. Um, it's kind of been like that ever since. Okay. So <clears throat> this is really interesting. So let's go back real quick. So, so David, you said, uh, you went to school and then, uh, you work, it sounds like you jumped around, maybe worked at multiple salons, you wore multiple hats. Uh, could you, uh, just give us like a little quick chronological order? Like how many salons did you work at before? Oh, Cause this also sounds like you, you went from maybe your hometown to New York, yeah. Uh, so could you give us just like the quick, like I worked in two salons and I was a stylist, a manager, an owner, whatever. And then I okay. moved or whatever it is. So I started school in Michigan and then I finished school in Florida okay. and I did not go to a beta. I just went to like a regular school. Um, and I got out and I went and worked for an Aveda salon because at the time it was like the most professional. And I, I've always loved business. My dad's an entrepreneur. So I've just always been business oriented. Um, and I liked Aveda because it was, there was a lot of structure around business. And so it's funny because it destroyed the hairdresser. We remove retail from the conversation entirely. And it's like Sid and I are pros at selling retail. <laughs> um, but I remember. <laughs> we still I do. We still do. And I, and I, we just do it differently. But I remember at the time I was like, I want to be at a place that's like, I'm a hairdresser, but like, I want to take my, the business side very seriously. So I started working as an assistant um, for this woman in Florida who is, that's a whole other podcast episode. Um, and from there, that salon was purchased by someone else. And then I became 
I kind of grew really quickly after it got purchased. I was the only stylist that they kept um, that was in the team and just became really close with the owners and played a large role there. Then from that salon, I went to another Aveda salon um, where I quickly became one of the top stylists. And then I, from there, I'm going back a while. <laughs> from there, I there was a there was a moment in time where I wanted to open a salon, my own salon, and um, one of my close friends, Tim Belcher, who's a he used to work as a rep for Aveda. He was like, "Well, there's actually this salon um, nearby that's struggling, and I know that you're really good at business, so like, I think that you should make them an offer to like completely flip the basically like flip the salon, like flip a house." And I was like, okay, so I actually, so I went and inter- I went and met with this person and she was struggling and I actually saw her at the premiere show this year. It was really nice to catch up, but she was struggling and she needed like help. She was like, I, everything's out of control. Our overhead is too high. Our, like, I don't know how to hire, I just everything, all the things that I knew how to do mainly because I grew up in a family that just does business, but also just through my experiences. and so. By through working with her for a year um, as a manager and I guess kind of consultant, I was paid as a consultant. I was able to increase her profitability by over, I think, 59%, which was crazy. And then I think we won that year a Salon Today Award for that, um, for planned profitability and growth. And then from there, Aveda snatched me up as an educator. And then since then, it's been really about investing in salons. People always ask us, if we, like, if we have a salon, I'm like, Sid and I have plans on having our own salon, but we love investing. And that's kind of like the business side of things that we really enjoy. We kind so, of have hundreds of salons because we actively are running them every day. Yeah. And also <laughs> coaching, you feel like you have a million salons. Um, but should we talk about the salons we want to open or no? Um, well, hold on. Okay. <laughs> Good. So uh, you, so you have, uh, so I, I love that uh, because like part of the, part of the, the audience like is looking for in a lot of these conversations is like the act, some of the actual steps that people took. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think that what you're talking about is really interesting. You went from like working at salons to pitching yourself to help someone t- turn their business around um, and then you got picked up by Aveda. So this salon was in Florida. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. after working for Aveda for a few years, I actually asked for a raise um, and they told me no. They actually told me that I made enough money for my age, <laughs> which is uh, illegal. <laughs> Literally <laughs> illegal. <laughs> oh my gosh. I cannot believe that. So they sent me, they, they basically asked like, what else do I want if I can't get a raise? And I was like, okay, send me to fashion week. Cause I already, I had a plan. So I was like, send me to fashion week, which by the way, cost more than the raise that I was asking for. <laughs> uh, so they sent me to fashion week and um, I was working with, oh my God, what's the designer's name? I can't remember the designer's name, but we were at like, I was in one of the main tents um, with one of the main designers, but next door there was another event getting ready and it was Sally Hirschberger's team was doing it. And I just left my team and went over to the Sally Hirschberger team and worked with them because the Aveda team was so like structured and like, you're going to stand here and hand them clips. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then I like went over there and then (laughs) I interviewed 
I connected with some people and then I interviewed and I got the job at Sally Hirschberger's as her assistant for $8 an hour after making a salary out of Ada. So that was really hard and terrifying. And I call, I remember calling my dad again and being like, okay, I was just offered this job with Sally Hirschberger for $8 an hour. It's a really like financially, it's a really bad idea, but like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And my dad's like, okay, just do it. Just like, go quit your job and move. So I like went back home, quit my job, um, sold my car, told us goodbye. Like I was going off <laughs> to the army and, uh, we lived together at the time. And then Sid so got I- a big fat raise cause they were afraid that she was going to leave with me. <laughs> um, I got like double the amount he asked for. I left anyways, <laughs> but still. <laughs> um, and so I, and I, I worked for Sally for like maybe six months. It was a really really bad experience um and that was also kind of feeding to like there's got to be another way to do this and uh had six roommates and i paid 500 dollars a month to live in a closet in brooklyn and begged sid to come sid showed up i lived in a six by six room for like a thousand dollars and there was four roommates and then it was just me and sid and now (laughs) We have yeah. our lives. So it's been an adventure <laughs> since we so started. So when did you all meet? At what point in this story did you meet? So we we met in 2012 while we were still educating for Aveda. That's okay. when like we started writing. That's when we started like going off to help people. And then I by within the next three years, we were in New York. He went first. I came right after. We were we were already starting the base level of what destroy the hairdresser was. Um and like I said, like we were running amok in New York City, working at different salons and talking to different salon owners and bringing on like our ideas. And I remember walking in to multiple salons and saying like exactly what we teach now. Like I'm coming in, I'm working these many days and I'm going to charge this much. And I remember some salon owners were just like, no, you can't. And I, a few were like, your confidence is beyond like, yeah, I want you to come in charging 150 an hour, even though we don't charge hourly. I want you to come in working three days a week. Like they were so like, you're so confident in this that you know what it's what's going to happen. And what happened is it ended up trickling. Like then the whole team started to do it and it was awesome. So we started to really like work with salons on practicing our methods and making them work and seeing what needed to be tweaked as we were kind of building destroy the hairdresser and like teaching it and coaching and doing all that. Okay, so before we get into the details, because you've already kind of started talking a little bit about some of the differences that you all are bringing to the industry through your uh, Destroy the Hairdresser Mm -hmm. uh, coaching and um, I guess coaching and system, would that be Mm -hmm. an accurate way to say it? So let's talk about what is your story? Uh, Can you give us your, your, uh, your story, how you went from like specifically, like how many places did you work? What hats did you wear? Uh, to leading up to um, that point where you were talking about you and David uh, started building Destroy the Hairdresser before you maybe even realized you were building Destroy the Hairdresser. Yeah. So I I went to the Veda School in St. Petersburg, which I just found out they just tore down. Um, so I was like, oh, I saw someone sent me the picture. They're like, they're tearing our school down. I was like, build a high rise. 100%. And they are building a high rise. Um, <laughs> I actually did this program. They offered it one time just for my class and they never offered it again, <laughs> but it was a program where after you graduated and took your tests, you could stay and pay longer to get more 
um, education so that when you came out, you were so in advance compared to a lot of the people coming right out of hair school. And I decided to do that program because I wanted to bypass the whole assistant thing. I, from the get-go, I thought it was bullshit. I didn't want to spend three years like losing my craft when I should be advancing it and building a clientele. Um, so I chose to do that so that I would have a little bit more of a resume coming in and kind of credibility from the school going into these salons. Um, I did get a job at a salon and they did still insist that I do an assistant program, but it was only one month. Um, and, uh, in that time, I obviously am, I'm queer. And, um, at the time I had a mullet and looked very queer (laughs) and I, um, remember the salon owner, one of her older clients complained that she was uncomfortable by me, even though the whole salon was filled, filled with gay men. I was the only lesbian in the salon. And, um, so the salon owner paid me to leave. Um, she gave me $1,500 to leave around Christmas. I probably should have sued, but I was 20. So I didn't know better. And um, I just left. And I remember wanting to give up on the industry. Um, But I was like, screw that. Like, I know my value. So I did go into another salon. I found one that was actually struggling. And I remember telling the salon owner, like, I know I can fix your business. And she was just so desperate. Like, I came in. I got rid of her retail. I took over management. I was the lead stylist. I was instantly educating Um, and so ironically, separately in parallel, parallel form, David and I are like just ripping apart, you know, until we kind of crash together. And, um, I made that salon really successful and then I left her and it kind of went down after that, but that's okay. (laughs) But I, uh, I did get poached to go work for, um, Aveda corporate and I, I wanted to do something bigger in my career. I didn't know what it was. And I thought this would be a great next step. Um, I worked at Aveda corporate for eight years and taught and traveled the world and did all these fashion weeks and did all these really cool things. But during that time, like David said, we really started to realize like how most schools were run from product companies and how there was a lot of, you know, things happening in salons where they just weren't being supported in the way that they should. All right. This is awesome. So this is great. It gives me like, gives us so much context uh, to, to y'all's, to y'all's brand and story. Your story gives so much context to, uh, I feel like the next part that's coming, but uh, real quick, both of you said work for Aveda corporate. Does that mean that you were, were you doing more than teaching? Uh, were you, uh, you know, cause I am actually going to be interviewing somebody who works for L'Oreal corporate, Paul Bryant specifically, and he's like mm. works with the color, the chemists, and stuff like that. So what? What do you? What was your- so? It was it was legally called Neil Corp, which was like AI South. They merged with me Neil Corp, so it like we called it a Beta Corporate, but it was it's not like the like up at Estee Lauder a Beta Corporate. It's like it's the, the southern distribution education. Over. Yeah, so like. We had district up into DC and down to Florida. But we were not involved in like the science or anything behind it. We were Mm -mm. just in the educational portion. Mm -hmm. And were you working in salons while you were educating or were you full time? Mm -hmm. Okay. Full time. Yeah. All right. Perfect. We worked for HSN while we were educating. Yeah, we did. We worked for Home Shopping Network. We were on TV a lot. 
That's cool. If you Google me, you can see my long hair. I look like a televangelist. Well, I'll send you, actually. I think I have pictures if you remind me. I'll send you pictures. But they would cover up all my tattoos when I was on air. And, like, we would do, like, hair tutorials with the tools that we were selling. And we would do, like, 24-hour stints. And it you was crazy. Like 24 hours. You'd sleep in between the green room. It was I loved every minute of that. Me too. I loved working for Home Shopping Network. If anyone ever wants to work for a cool company doing hair, Home Shopping Network. Go do hair. <laughs> do Home Shopping that, Network. That's amazing. Um, okay, so all right. So now that we got the baseline down of uh how you y'all got to uh to creating destroy the hairdresser, um, could you give us kind of like a little bit uh, about what what it is like you do, you can kind of deliver your, 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 whatever you want, however you want to communicate. Cause I feel like the audience has already gotten, if they didn't know you already, they've gotten the gist that you're looking to do business differently in the, in the salon business model. So could you kind of give us your, your little spiel on, uh, on, on who you are or what, what destroy the hairdresser is, and then uh, I'd love to hear some of the, you have some, I remember I was, um, so just kind of like context for the listener, I probably should have said this in the beginning. I met David <laughs> and Sid in person uh, at Premier Orlando. And um, there's like, your presentation had like a list of like, you went through, I don't remember how many. That was a glimpse. Before. That was just a that glimpse. That was a glimpse. Okay. We went through our 10 methods. <laughs> okay. So maybe you can kind of deliver who's hair who destroy the hairdresser is what your mission is and maybe what your 10 points are uh as an introduction and then uh we can kind of wrap it up there and then we'll go into um and then we'll the next time we talk we'll dig in to into some depth on 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 all that stuff how does that sound that's awesome. good i'm just gonna pull up the website so i can read all the methods without it being i have a memorized script if you want me to say it but (laughs) that's amazing but i I want to share your screen oh yeah we could show the screen for sure let me do that real quick my coast okay so you should be able to share your screen okay share screen there we go so our biggest thing is like we focus on helping salons future-proof their business through one-on-one coaching we believe that the missing piece for salon owners and hairdressers is a one-on-one approach that is not connected to a larger brand. And our main, our mission statement is two words. It's salon differently. That's our whole mission. Um, We have a few foundational principles, how we, you know, what we teach our students right away and what we're trying to really change in the industry are these three things. We, help people work on their reactive system, how they perceive information, how they react to information. If you haven't figured out by now, the salon industry is really reactive, right? Um, But we believe that you can't be proactive until you learn more about why and how you react. So we spend a lot of time with our students before we even get them to our methods that people find disruptive. We really train them on like, this is going to be disruptive, but how you react to it, this is what we're going to work on for a while. We also help build their emotional intelligence, helping them build stronger communication skills, leadership skills, um, anything that falls into emotional intelligence, helping them understand that they only have 100 years on the planet. So what do they really want to get out of life and their career? And then we also teach a concept called the vessel, which is helping people understand that everyone has a different capacity. Some people have a capacity for more than others. And one, you can grow that capacity, but also you need to understand 
that everyone coming to the table can only hold so much. And so these are our foundational principles that when you come into coaching, we spend about three months just on this before we actually help someone with their business. And the reason is because if we go right into our methods, it's too much. There isn't a lot of capacity or there isn't an emotional intelligence or there is a reaction to it. So we know that what we're delivering is so different that we've created a really large safety net for everyone in their psyche as they go through our program. So do you want to add to the principles at all? Yeah. What's really awesome about this is that it kind of trickles through every student's, their whole life starts to change. Like the way they interact with their clients, the way that they interact with their teams, the the way they're interacting with even their partners or their friends or family. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things to watch as a coach and watch our coaches coach this because you know, the students are, are truly transforming as a human being, which then can only trickle in to your business. We have a saying that says how you do one thing is how you do all things. And so if we can change and create this transformative moment of like, I'm going to internally change what I want to be and show up as like in the industry, it's going to trickle through in every part of your life. Yeah. This program is total transformation, not just business. And I think, you know, we're really known for just like our intense business ideas, but when you're in coaching, it's such a transformational experience all the way around. And again, these are like those three pillars that really keep everything safe in that environment. These are all of our beautiful coaches, which we can talk about as well. We have Um, nine coaches, by the way, and all of them were students um, that were coached by myself or David or one of our coaches. And they have created future-proof salons. They've opened salons using all of our methods. And now they have their own students and they're doing the same thing, which is really awesome. We also, like when we look at our philosophy around how we do things, one of the things is proactive risk-taking and boldness. Um, hairdressers naturally are bold individuals, but when it comes to their business, they're usually a little more submissive and they're looking for someone to kind of help them. So we're trying to teach people that if you use critical thinking and you use your emotional intelligence, that you have a lot of the answers already and Googling them and going to a company that runs a retail line, that's probably not going to be the best thing for you because that company is going to do what's best for them. So we really work on proactive risk-taking. We really work on critical thinking and emotional intelligence, getting individuals to think for themselves, which is really funny because I think people assume that we want everyone to do what we say, but we actually don't. We want everyone to do what they think is best. And we offer an alternative to what's currently being provided. So critical thinking is huge, thinking on your own and making your own decisions, which has really empowered students to go back to retail companies and get what they need as opposed to buying into what they're being sold. Um, So that's really exciting to watch. And then another one of our philosophies is helping increase personal responsibility and autonomy. And this is, again, this is for all of our salon owners and for all of our hairdressers, anyone in the program and anyone that works for us or anyone that works for them. These are really the things that we focus on kind of big picture. After the philosophies are kind of digested, after the principles and um, the foundational principles are digested, then we go into business because then the person's really ready to receive it. When we do talks like at Premiere or we do classes in person, we don't have enough time 
to transform someone's life. <laughs> right. So what we do, we have to get them excited to want yeah. to transform their life. Yeah. So what we do is we throw our methods at them. And what we know about our methods is that our methods are, people say they're disruptive. You know, I think what's funny is that I think they're the most clear versions of a method you could probably get. And I think them being disruptive says more about where the industry is than where we're coming from. So we throw our methods knowing that most people aren't using our methods and or they're using some sort of version it's not tightened up so we give them these and we know that at the end of the day it's going to kind of make them go okay i don't i i understand that they think we should remove the front desk i understand the hourly price and i understand going gratuity free but the coaching aspect is when someone's like i don't know how to do it i know why we should do it but i don't know how to do it and that's why we have one-on-one coaching and when sid and i first started out i remember we would sit in our apartment <laughs> on the floor, <laughs> on the floor. And we would like do our podcast. And it's like, we just want one to mic, help. by the way, we had one mic between the two of us. Um, but we just wanted to help people. And it was like, we didn't have a full, we didn't have a program like we do now. We just had these concepts. And if people wanted our help, we were going to provide that to them. And people did. And we provided it and it's just made the company even more clear. Like we have so much clarity on these methods, but I want to, I want to be clear that these methods are not the only way to do things. These are just the way, these are the philosophies and teachings that we have perfected that we feel comfortable sharing with people. And there's, this isn't the only way to do things, but it's definitely a different way to do things. And the students that we have using these methods are making more money, working a lot less having less burnout, having deeper connections with clients and staff and seeing the industry very differently than they had seen it before. Cool. So let's down a little. Yeah. Too. Let's hear the methods. Let's see what they got here. Can you still see me if I do this? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we teach is hourly pricing, which we could do a whole podcast just on that topic, but essentially, mm-hmm. you know, Sid says it best, like people are always afraid of hourly pricing, but the funny thing is, they're like, okay, my haircut's $60 and I have to, and it's an hour appointment. It's like, so you're already doing, you're already charging for your time. You just don't associate it as an overall price. And so what we've done is we've helped people take hourly pricing and get paid a rate, which is a lot of how celebrity stylists get paid is I get paid a rate or by the hour, it doesn't matter what I'm doing at that time. I'm just getting paid for that time. So as hairdressers living in New York city, we were like, you can do that in a salon. And then, you know, there's obviously the argument around like, well, you know, color should be more because it costs more and cutting should be less because it costs less. And our response to that is really, if you're looking at things based on service, then yes, but we look at things based on the artist and the artist should be charging the same all across the board. I should not be worth less because I do hair cutting and Sid be worth more because she do hair color. Um, And for those of you that do both, your cut and color and extension, like all your services should not be different prices because that's just overhead. What, what hourly pricing does is it may, what's the rate that you need to charge a, to cover your costs, but also that's worth your time. You are not worth a different amount based on what you're doing. And so really teaching people, really giving them consciousness around the reason we do it. And we're so strict about the way that we do it is because it's not about the service. It's about the artist that we're really focusing on. So do you want to add to hourly? 
No, I think hourly and uh, gratuity free and gender genderless pricing all kind of go into one because when you're charging your rate, there is no tip, there is no gender. And so they all kind of lump into one, but we've separated them because each topic really does deserve its own spotlight when we're teaching it within our program and the consciousness behind each method. Yeah, I, when we gratuity free is always an interesting one. Um, besides the fact that the hi- historically it is rooted in racism and sexism, which that's just historic. Um, the other issue is that you're giving the power to the client to decide your value, which goes against what we're teaching in hourly pricing. So when we say gratuity free, we what we're not saying is that it's built into the price. That seems to be like a that seems to be a thing people say now, like, oh, I, I don't charge, I don't do tipping because it's built into the price. That we don't even teach that. We don't do tipping because there's no such thing. Like we've removed it. We're completely. charging our worth. So we're not living off of our tips. We're making a fair living. We're making the salary we want in the, in the, in a big sense where when our, we're getting our taxes at the end of the year, like on paper, we're building wealth and we're making what we want to make. And it's no longer this consciousness of like, let's fight against like the government. It's like, no, like we can't get out of this game. We might as well play it to our benefit, our benefit and like create wealth on a bigger scale because a lot of these younger hairstylists are living off their tips. They're not really diving into their taxes and not trying to build wealth on paper. And what happens later in life is they're unable to buy a house. They don't have good credit. They're not able to get investments for businesses. They can't get a car. And so we're really trying to teach hairdressers big picture early on of what that means and how it's going to affect them down the road. All right. So, yeah. So gratuity free, um, hourly pricing and genderless pricing, you know, it's fun. Like genderless pricing, I don't feel like it's talked about. There is no such thing. It's 2023. (laughs) There's no such thing as gender and hair. There's no such thing as gender in general. Um, But I think when we, when we gender hair, forget about the social aspect, like legally speaking, charging people different amounts based on their sex is considered a pink tax in most states. It's already illegal. And if it's not illegal in your state yet, it most likely will be very soon. So not only are these, I think some people think these are like social approaches, but not only are they social, they're, they are social approaches, but they're also really powerful financial approaches. So one of the things we teach is removing the front desk, mainly because today with technology, you can have it automated. And also what we have found is that most salon owners are paying more to the front desk as a total than they are for themselves. And if there's one thing you know about business is that if the business owner isn't making money, that business most likely won't last. And I don't think people realize the desk is a as big of an issue as it is. Um, we already talked about genderless pricing. Station sharing is something that um, Sid and I came up with because we were jumping around from salon to salon in New York City, and we didn't want to work at any specific salon as a, as an employee. So we made offers to all these different salons, like if you have chairs available, I will come. But I only, but I want to still make commission. I don't want to rent the chair. So we would bounce around with our clients to different salons, and I would just make whatever the commission was at that salon. I didn't want to bring color or bring all my stuff, and Sid didn't want to do that. So I'd have an appointment over here at this salon. I have an appointment over here at this salon. And basically, when we applied for the jobs, we were like, "This is what we're going to do." So if you can't, if you're not into that, that's fine. We're going to just go find a place that will let us. And a lot of salons did it. And then we saw that other people wanted to do it too. And so now it's one of our biggest methods that helps salon make salons make the most profit um, in their business. 
We also recommend unlimited time off, which is in 2023, kind of a no brainer. Um, it brings up a lot of fear for salon owners, but by what we have found is that by offering unlimited time off, people work more and they work more efficiently and they're much happier. Um, limitless pricing. This is really focused on allowing the stylist to choose their hourly rate and not basing their pricing on benchmarks or whatever the, the salon owner feels. It's, it's really allowing the stylist to take that ownership and have that autonomy and personal responsibility over choosing their pricing. Uh, we also do a charity focus. So our salons are required to give 1% of their profits to a charity of their choice. Um, and as their company grows, we also encourage them to increase that percentage as well. This removes the whole idea of like, I have to be affordable to give back rather yeah. than like, let's build real wealth so we can actually use our money to make real changes in our community. It also gets rid of like, this month's breast cancer awareness month and this month is liver cancer awareness month and this month is the pride month. Like, and then everyone's trying to donate randomly. This is like, you don't have to do that. It's more beneficial to charities if they have a consistent flow of income than random months that do nothing but cause chaos. Um, so I think we're trying to get rid of the roller coaster of donation and like, you know, streamline it into a good cause. We also have something called open door policy, which goes into the station sharing as well. We believe that stylists should be able to work anywhere and everywhere, in, even if they're in a commission salon. So they should be able to work at my salon, they should be able to work at your salon, and they should be able to work anywhere. Um, and the reason for that is because uh, the alternative is trapping them and then destroying them and then, I don't know, making them sign a non-compete and then suing them. Like the, mm -hmm. the alternative, there really is no alternative. Yeah, hair, hairdressers need freedom. They're like a bird. They need to flap their wings. They want to try their things. And if your salon is great, what's going to happen is they're going to go to other places and have their experience there. And maybe it works that they stay at both places. Or maybe they're like, you know what? I've tried other places and your salon is the best. Um, so the only people that actually have a problem with open door policies are usually the salon owners that know they're doing horrible things. Um, retail free is really the idea of removing all the shelves from the business, removing all the physical retail from the business and switching over to affiliate links so that you can make 30% profit on your sales as opposed to none, <laughs> as opposed to none. Uh, and it, and, and also helps remove cash. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, your inflated cash flow that a lot of people assume is profit, but is not. So retail will, will look like you are making money in your bank account. But when you ask the, own, the salon owner where the money is in their pocket, they cannot find it. So this is always a really big shift for people. But it's actually, I would say in the last couple of years, is the easiest method. Like mm -hmm. most Yeah, we're just bringing it. attention to what people are spending just to stock retail. That's Then they have to pay someone to dust it and manage it and inventory. And it's like- And they have to buy it again. And they'd buy it again. And then when you really look at the overhead cost of it, it's like, was it, was it really worth it on the grand scheme of things when you could literally just utilize technology and social media and all of the things, the internet. And the last one is going cashless. Uh, no one should be counting a drawer uh, in 2023. There should not be um, dirty money just being hand, like money is gross. 
Um, and also it streamlines your ability to do your taxes, it streamlines your payroll, it streamlines your backend. Um, and we then connect people with accountants that will help straighten out all their financial stuff because we are not financial advisors. But- I will say too, with the cashless, what's um, over the past couple of years, we've had a lot of salons that have been broken into and re- like all of our DTH salons that maybe did get broken into, they didn't have retail. They didn't have a front desk. They took their lap, their iPad home that they used for checking out because that's what they have. They didn't have cash. So like nothing, all the stylists, because they do station sharing would take all their stuff home. So there was like nothing in the salon and all that, all that there was, was a broken door or a broken window. <laughs> and so it, it really prevents things like that because salons usually are targeted, um, to get broken into because of the value of everything inside. And when you use our methods, it kind of eliminates that and with insurance that window or door was fixed pretty quickly yeah this happened to one of our coaches and she's like they broke in and they didn't touch anything and they must have just left Hmm. (laughs) after they realized Mm -hmm. there was nothing to take interesting but yeah those are our i think those are our methods that's Mm -hmm. what we teach and then of course a lot of transformation of mindset and consciousness around all of that yeah and with the one-on-one coaching these are the methods that slowly the coaches are going over with the students because the students are coming up to us to learn these methods, but they're also like one-on-one, they're talking to their coach every day. They have calls with their coach. They can text their coach. Like you fully have a coach in your pocket. So our coaches are helping them put out fires, troubleshoot, create solutions. Our coaches are holding their students accountable. They're like, you're struggling, but you won't raise your price. You know, they're really in depth of a person in the pocket of these salon owners and hairdressers. And that's, what's been such the like epitome of our success is because the support is so elevated and no one else is doing one-on-one coaching the way that we are in, in the way we are. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to go through and give us an introduction to both your stories and your business. Um, I think it'd be really fun to dig into a couple of them. I I took a couple of notes, uh, the the no tipping, because I know that's a hot topic. Uh, And then the uh, station sharing unlimited time off open door policy. To me, that kind of sounds like it is one. And then the retail free uh yeah and the retail free stuff so how about we come back together and uh we dig into some of these and kind of maybe get into some nuances uh, i'd like to uh hear what your naysayers say i have some points i'd like to hear what you have to say about it and um, how does that sound for the next for next time we get together sounds perfect we're excited awesome all right well until then thank you so much for coming on the show and i look forward to talking to you again soon thank you